go. Monday night. He's back in studio. It's time for Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Can't dilly-dally tonight. We have so much to get to, but Ira, first and foremost... Welcome back to South Florida. Where you been? You had a pretty busy week. Five days in the Bronx. Tuesday, Wednesday, <laughs> Thursday, Friday, and Saturday watching Aaron Judge. I mean, those five, those moments, those, he had 23 plate appearances that I saw. And it was like, the, for those each appearance, it was everything. I think I held my breath. Like, I held, <laughs> you know, still, you can't breathe. You just literally cannot breathe. You're afraid that you're going to drop your cell phone because it's, you're going to miss it. Um, it was, it's, it was just excitement. I mean, he just talking you know, we're, we're, we're on at seven o'clock right now. He's probably going to hit it like in like 50 minutes. I, I after. would not be surprised. <laughs> the Yankees will be starting in about five minutes uh, playing against the Toronto Blue Jays as Aaron Judge uh, continues his, uh, continues his charge to try to get to I don't know, maybe 65, 66 by the time it's all said and done <clears throat> with nine games to play. We're going to have a guest coming on soon. And I, I just was not anticipating the Miami Dolphins. I, I'll be the first to admit that I really know nothing about football at this point. Everything I think that's going to happen doesn't. I thought the Bills were going to win this game by 21 points. And I was really, really wrong. And I'm happy for Dolphins fans. Well, we're going to talk about the game a little later in the show. We're going to have, of course, someone from Finsider come in and, and give it insight about the Dolphins and what happened. That game was, it was like in the third and fourth quarters, you had the feeling like, okay, the Dolphins put up a nice fight. The Bills are going to come, come in and end this. And the Dolphins figured a way to win. I mean, even after the uh, uh, punt to the butt or whatever they want to call it. And it seemed like, and you remember, I think the thing with the Chiefs and the Bills is they remember that the playoff game last year where they both could score in like 15 seconds and people just assume that, okay, they're just going to score whatever they want. And they, they don't have the offenses like they had last year. But the uh, Dolphins were very opportunistic and they were able to hold, I think the defense coming up big two times. And Look, the Bills had a 20-play drive for nine minutes and got a field goal out of that. Yeah. And they were stopped twice before other times. Uh, just a big win for the Dolphins. And in being 3-0 and with questions coming in all year, is two of this, and McDaniel, the, court, the coach, all those things. And now, now they're in the driver's seat, the FC, and the division, too. Yeah, and these are impressive wins. They're not beating doormats right now. They're beating good teams. Shumit Jenna, as Ira said, from Finsider, joins us at 7.30, gets us all caught up on what's going on in Dolphins Nation. Let's start off with, with baseball, though, Ira. And this is, it's kind of like taking over sports. And that doesn't really happen once football season's on. But they're actually showing constantly, you know, Aaron Judge coming up next. Any any MLB um, network goes to his at-bat constantly. It's reminding me of the, you know, the chase we had 20 years ago. Because it's kind of what everyone was focused on. And you were a part of it once again. Yeah, well, the... The home run in baseball is the thing that everybody, of course, talks about. And I was just looking at some stats. And in 1876, the home run record was set by George Hall in 70 games at five. So that was the home <laughs> run record. And then it was like nine and 14. And then Ruth at 19 set the record with 29 and 140 games. And it seemed like he broke the record every single year, his own record. And he finished in 1927 with 60, with 60 home runs. 34 years it was the record. But in 1961, they added eight games. They went to expansion. So pitching stats weren't great. And Mantle and Maris were both trying Maris battle, batted uh, third in the lineup and Mantle was fourth for the Yankees and even when the year started they thought Mantle had a good shot that year to break the record and the whole year they were like one, one a bat apart and it ended up Maris sort of distanced himself a little from Mantle at the end and Ford Frick the uh, 
commissioner was asked like what's going to happen because is he going to break it at 154 and he said if he doesn't break 60 in 154 games then it's going to be an asterisk on the record and it took Maris he Maris had ended up having 60 and he sat on 60 for a while and not until uh, the last game of the season did he hit 61 so there was an asterisk for all these years that yeah. he had 61 for the American League record for the, the whole record and those things and actually when he hit he had 59 in game 65 and only 19,000 were attendance for his game 60 because people thought after he didn't do it that it's like it's not really a record that it's Roos record anyway and there's a movie that movie 61 mm-hmm. that Billy Crystal put out that's popular anyone wants to see a great baseball movie that was it um, but that was thir- then it went 37 years that Maris had the record so I grew up with this whole 61 60 61 whole record with one with the asterisk and then of course 98 the chase McGuire Sosa both going past and I went and saw I was in F- Pittsburgh and saw McGuire at 55 and then in September how about this he hit 61 I went on September 6th I knew he was at 60 I drove to St. Louis and I saw him hit 61 on September 7th and during the day and then at 62 I was in the outfield when McGuire hit the ball and I thought I was going to get that ball and it was right to, <laughs> like to my left were five nuns and to my right was like two wrestlers and I figured well if it goes and when they hit the ball I thought it was coming right towards me but it dropped right in front of that small where the uh, bullpen is there's a small little gap and so like some bullpen catcher got it but uh, that was it was so exciting to be there for 61 62 so I'm thinking okay well this would be exciting you know to go to the judge things uh, people forget that Sosa um, actually took the lead that year had 66 and McGuire had 65 for 45 minutes and uh, and uh, and McGuire finished that year with with, with 70 and then uh, Sosa had 63 the next year McGuire had 65 the next year and then 2001 the year that Bonds hit his record at 73 Sosa had 64 so Sosa had over 61 three times McGuire twice Bonds once so people were saying well what are you so excited about this judge tra- you know judges at 60 he's never going to come close to 73 first of all it's the American League record that means anything and also because Sosa Bonds and McGuire have all been shrouded with the whole steroid thing this is like supposedly the clean record the, mm-hmm. uh, they say and so that's where I mean judge if you see him there's, he's tested all the time he, I mean if he found out he had steroids then we'll see what happens but the point is that's why people view this Bonds has the record but I think in a lot of people's minds that judge really is going for the record if he gets 62 that would be the clean baseball record and I have to agree with that I mean it's it is where it is none, none of those three players are in the baseball hall of fame for a reason you know if, if we're giving asterisks in you know over 61 in, in more games there should be real asterisks and see these ones that are uh, you know under unscrupulous backgrounds speaking of backgrounds let's talk about you know how you started because you were at uh, five games and you got to see 60 itself too uh, well, the, I, the background is that I went to the the Pirate game. Pirate, they played the Pirates on Tuesday and Wednesday. And I thought, the Pirates, I looked at the pi- their pitching staff. It's minor league. It's a, it's a single-A, yeah. double-A pitching staff. And I'm like, they can't even try to pitch around him. Like, they're going to throw. Like, was, oh, they're not going to try to hit him. They, can't, they couldn't even. Their pitchers, they have pitchers pitching with 90 RAs and 80 RAs. Like, there's no way. Like, they're just going to try to walk him and they'll throw an easy ball. So I assumed <laughs> that he's going to hit. I thought, that's it was good. this is easy. Tuesday, Wednesday, he'll be done. Call it a day. And then, and uh, I got there. You get there early to the game, but you don't have to see judge had batting practice because as early as you can get you don't see the Yankees had the batting practice whatever but you have to get to the game early because judge the weird thing is do you notice the strange that he bats first yeah. which is when who what other big slugger bats first I mean McGuire always batted fourth Bonds bought a third or fourth you know it's very unusual that he bats first so he comes up in, at home the bottom of the inning so it's it's 
the the Pirates of the Red Sox they bat, and then when he comes to the plate, it is such there is such commotion because first of all, the balls they use are marked, so if they can't say I caught the home run ball, mm. so they have to take all the balls uh, out from the <laughs> umpire throws all the balls. They put all the marked balls in. Then there's a camera crew like following every step. He's running down, and then Judge takes his time. The pitcher always is walking around a little bit more, so there's always this whole delay of him going up. And the funny thing is that. Look, I go to so many sporting events. Now, certainly at a golf, you're quiet. Tennis, you're quiet. Bat, football, you're loud. Baseball, you're supposedly loud. Shooting foul shots, quiet. But baseball is loud. Everyone got quiet. It's like, I think that's one of the problems. It is so quiet when he's up at bat. Mm-hmm. Like, you could hear a pin drop. No one's saying it. Even Red Sox fans aren't chanting. Like, it is so quiet at the game. And I think that's one of the weird things that happens when he's up at bat. And it's just like, he swings at the first pitch. So you have to be ready because it's not like some of these, like, McGuire never was a first pitch swinger. And so, so they used to just sit back a little where the pitches are. I think, of all I saw 23 at-bats that Judge had. I swear he swung at the first pitch maybe 20 to 23 times. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you have to close, be swing. You have to, you have to be ready for it. And I, look, I, you said that you thought they pitched around him. I felt like I didn't see total, like he didn't have so many walks. I, and I didn't see him swinging bad pitches. He did have some walks. But I felt like at least the Pirates tried to pitch to him to some extent. Mm-hmm. And he had hits. I mean, he was getting doubles and singles. He still leads the league. I mean, the other thing is he's he's uh, leading the league in hitting. And he's by far with RBIs and home runs. So he's going to win potentially win the Triple Crown, which only Carrera's won in the past, like, you know, 50, My 60 lifetime. years. Yeah. yeah. So that's <laughs> all those things. And he... The compliment I have for Judge is that he is playing the field well. He's made a great catch, a couple of great catches. He also is talking to the players, working with them, his team. You can see his teammates love him. And even it seems like every time he hits up, the pitchers relax. And then the next one or two hitters afterwards get a home run. Torres got a home run. And Rizzo <laughs> hit a home run. It's like, you got, I got through Judge. And then I'm relaxed. And then the other Yankees sort of pick him up. And it seems like this is he is, he is one of the most beloved teammates. Whereas when I saw McGuire, it seemed like McGuire was like, you said on TV, it looked like I couldn't see in the dugout, so I didn't see his left alone but i saw in the field he was very talkative talking to people doing those things it, it was like i um it, it reminded you of like a no hitter in the eighth <laughs> inning like he's by himself on the dugout just focused and everyone else is staying 15 feet away they don't want to even be close to getting you know get in between his mojo there it's ira on sports through all these channels 713 i'm mike balsamo so l- let's get to the games here ira because like i said you you were planning on going anyway and it kind of lucked out that wow he really made a charge and he could do it well, at the games you were at. Yeah. So I was sat on the first game on Tuesday night with the Bader, Harrison Bader family, who was traded from the St. Louis Cardinals to the Yankees. And you had Hall's family and friends. And this was his first game. He was traded a month ago, but had plantar fasciitis. So he was his first start as a Yankee. So he had like 40 family and friends there. Well, he had a great game. Had like two hits, made great plays in the field. So that was exciting to be in that section, like right around the right behind the dugout, the Yankees dugout. The Yankees were up 4-3. And one of the problems is when you're home, it's like, he, remember, if you're leading, you don't bat in the night. So you're you're always thinking, is he going to get that fifth at bat because he'd have to go through the ninth? So the Yankees are leading 4-3 in the seventh. They're like, I don't think he's going to get up again because he already had grounded out, then walked and struck out. Uh, first two at bats grounded out, then walked and struck out. Trevino gave up a home run. And then the Yankee bullpen, which is a problem amongst itself, forget about everything else, gave up five runs in the top of the ninth. So they're up they're up or 9-4. Then the Yankees waited at 9-5. or nine, yeah, nine, five. The Yankees went 1-2-3. And then comes up in the bottom of the ninth inning. Judge is up there. And... And it was uh, 
striked three balls, and then they threw a sinker. And when he hit that, oh, it was the excitement. Like, everyone went nuts. It was great. He ran around the bases. I mean, the noise, the explosion. I think it, it felt like when, when McGuire hit it, and also when I when you're at a triple crown race, when I saw Justified and American Pharaoh win, like when they cross the finish line, mm-hmm. it's that just, that short just like scream at that moment. And you just knew he had hit it when he hit that home run. And that was so exciting to be there. And then what even made it better was that Rizzo double Torres walked onto it. And then, because they were still down, what, four runs? Yeah. And then Stanton hit a grand slam home run walk-off. <laughs> so you had Giancarlo Stanton with the walk-off home run. Then the lights are going crazy and everything is nuts. And everyone's excited. The Yankees are playing Frank Sinatra after they win. New York, New York. And it's chaos. People are hugging and kissing each other. Kids are, everyone's jumping around. It's so cool. You know, it's like, you see these kids there. And they're like, these kids like four or five years old. It's like, when they're 95, it's going to be like, seven, I was there when like Babe Ruth yeah. hit a 16 <laughs> run. And like I said, watch the game. Like, don't turn around. Like, you're yelling at the little kids to like, just say you saw it. <laughs> the theatrics of a, a, when are you ever going to go to see your team lose and see so much excitement like that, like you did in that game? Let's go to, uh, let's go well, then to I went on Wednesday night, um, they were it was fourteen two. Uh, Judge had the Judge had uh, the f- double the first inning, and then Cabrera hit a grand slam. As I said, after he was up, and then he got a strikeout, and then he had this double in the first and the fifth inning. He hit two doubles that were so hard. I think the exit, and I'm like, that's when I he thought they should have been balls, home. Yeah. They should have been home runs. Then he grabbed it out, and then the eighth they intentionally walked him. Of course, he didn't come up in the ninth, so they ended up losing fourteen to two. But I thought those were his two best shots on Wednesday night, where he could just pounded the ball and didn't do it. Then I'm like, oh, gotta come back. Thursday night for the Red Sox. So I'm back at that game. Now it got cold and Waka, Michael Waka's on the line. And he's like, I'm not giving up. That was the time. The first couple of bats, he was definitely walking uh, Judge in the first and third. He struck him out in the fifth. He walked in the seventh. But at 4-4 in the ninth inning, he comes up and it was so cold and it was blowing. I actually went and bought a sweatshirt. I got so, the temperature dropped. They had air conditioning early on. It was so hot in my apartment. And then I, it got so cold at the end. And uh, um, at the end of the game, I was just, it was so cold and the wind was blowing in. And uh, he hits the ball and it didn't, uh, it just right to the deepest, deepest part of center field. Then caught, caught it. I think they said it was out in like 22 ballparks, something like that. So almost, you know, a home two, run in 22 yeah, two, parts. Two, yeah, two, two thirds of, of the league that would have left the stadium, but uh, not Yankees. Stadium, and Donaldson comes up in the tenth, hits the walk off in the, with the walk off hit, and he's excited. Like judges, like, oh my god, I didn't see my hit. This is terrible. Like he was so into it, he was jumping around, he was happy. Friday night, I got right behind home plate. Then, so now I'm right behind the legend seats. I didn't get the legend seats right behind home plate. It was freezing. I literally had to buy a blanket because even though it's wearing the sweatshirt, <laughs> because I'm like I'm shivering, and if I can't hold my camera, I'm gonna have to take a bad video. If you go on Iron Sports Instagram, I have the 60th up there. I think we have like 35,000 views on that one nice. so that's pretty cool so Friday night he, uh, he strikes out first and then Aaron Hicks hits a home run and he flies out to left and then he had another strikeout in the fifth and a single and in the fourth it looked like in the, in the bottom of the eighth, it looks like there was a chance he was going to be up again, but uh, but uh, they drove in Bader, scored a run, they held it. So he never got that. He never he never got on Friday night the fifth at bat. And then Saturday, see, I think Saturday people thought it was going to be there because it was like a day game. It was warmer. The weather was nice. It just felt like this was a store game. Mm-hmm. I mean, every game, the stadium is packed. 48,000 people for every game. And uh, But the first at bat, he got he had like two check swing, two foul balls, and then he just got struck out low. Looking. I was like, oh, like, why would the umpire, like, it seemed close. Like, you would, why would you want to get him out like that? So that was a surprise. <laughs> and then he just had a full fly out, a walk. And then the seventh inning, he had this, like, check swing that they called out again. It was, 
like this. We're cool. Like, everybody wanted to up. The Yankees are up 7 5, 47,000 fans of the game. And I think they were all hoping the Yankees would blow the lead so we get up one more at bats, which they didn't. So <laughs> I saw, as I said, I went I went 18 or 18 at bats, 19, 18 at bats after the home run and didn't see uh, didn't see any home, didn't see the home run. But look, it was great. I loved it. It was tremendous. It was just excitement being there. And I'm sure he'll hit it tonight, but I just love being at that atmosphere. Yeah, it's uh, it's top of the first inning now. Yankees are up. He obviously didn't hit the home run, yeah, but it's uh, the yeah, men, men on second and third. Uh, we'll keep you updated on that if we do see any runs pop on the board. Uh, Albert Pools. I didn't think he was going to be able to get to, to 600, but wow, that was really 700. Impre- 700. That was really an impressive run he's put down here in the last six weeks or so. Well, I had a friend in LA, so I'm going to the Yankee game, seeing Judge, and I'm like, he goes, well, Pauls, well, Pauls, of course, is in his 40. I mean, he's much older than Judge. The chance of him to two home runs, and he goes and he hits two home runs in that one game. Some people think Dave Roberts sort of put some pitches, you know, <laughs> wanted him to get these friends with Pauls hit it, but truly, look, Bonds at 762, Aaron 755, Ruse 714, and Pauls at 700 is just super impressive. He has 2,208 RBIs, which is only second behind Aaron at 2,297. He's ninth in hits with 30, almost 3,400 hits, 300 average. This thing about Pouls was that from 2001 to 11, he had um, 455 home runs, 328 average, a three-time MVP, two-time World Series champion. At 2011, you thought he's going to set every, he'll have every, he's got 800 home runs. He was on a pace for like 825, 830. Mm-hmm. When he goes to the Angels for that big contract, then his whole career just fell off. Like the play, no player ever had the first 10 years and the bottom 10 years. And I felt bad. Like he really should have all the records. So there's no other reason why not to, but he had one of the biggest drop-offs in the, when he was at the Angels. So before we move on, one of the things that really baffles me, Ira, with the, this baseball season Jose Ramirez is 11 RBIs behind Aaron Judge with 30 less home runs. That's very strange. How often does something like well, that happen? Well, when, when you bat him at first all the time, yeah. and that's the one thing is that they're batting him at first. Now, the question is why they are batting him first. Some They say, well, it gives him another at bat. It's they're been not, about a month. Yeah, since it got closer to, to actually breaking a record, that's when Boone moved him up. I felt like, and then last night, of course, I wasn't at the game. I was for the uh, Lashana Tavaya, for Rosh Hashanah, for, all, for our Jewish listeners. But I was at services last night, so I didn't see the game. But I thought it was crazy when it was raining that they were, thought they were going to come back and play the game. Like, you, you, why, could you imagine with the Yankees, with, with all the paper mache lineup they have, all the players getting injured, you could have lost Stanton, Judge, like the whole team would have got hurt on a wet field after being south for two hours. I thought it was, I'm sure the Red Sox, they didn't care. They're out of the playoffs. And the, they would say, take it. Like, they, we want to move on. They're going back home to play Baltimore. I thought it was insane for them even to sit and wait to think they're going to play that game. Judge did have a hit. Uh, one for one with a single. Came around, scored a run. It's now one nothing. Yankees on top of the Blue Jays. Um... We got to talk. We got to get into football, Ira. And this is, like I said earlier, I can't believe how little I know about this league. I consider myself good at picking games and stuff. This year is all over the place. And we'll start with the Dolphins. We're going to talk to uh, Shumit Jenna in a minute from Finsider. But I really thought that the Bills, after what they did the first two weeks, I thought they were going to come in here and roll the Dolphins. And they really didn't. I mean, th- that defense was better than the offense, but really impressive win for the Dolphins. 14-14 at the end of the first half. Tua got hurt. You're sort of saying, oh my, he's never coming back. Look at a concussion. Now he said it was a back problem. There's an issue whether it's a concussion or a back or should he have been allowed back in the game. But I think the thing that people are ignoring is the Bills had a chance to go 
and get at least get a field goal at the end of the half. And as they did in the end of the game, they couldn't get the playoff. Like they went to Doug State inbounds, and that was a great move on the Dolphins' part to not because they were driving at the end to keep it at 14-14. And the Bills in the second half had a tw- that's a 20 play, 87 yard drive, 9-22 at clock, 17-14. Miami punts it. Bills then miss a field goal, and then the key play was a third and 22, two at a waddle, 45 yards down the field, beautiful one. Most are ran in or who went Edmonds ran it for the touchdown, make it 21-17. And then the Bills go that 17 play, 90 to 73 yard drive, eight minutes. They get to first and goal on the two, and they don't score. I mean, and I think that's one of the problems with the Bills offense. They're 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 like this quick start team, whatever. But when and you're seeing it again and again, these teams can't run the ball. And when they get down to first and two on the five, like they can't run it in, and they don't. The field like people made a big deal about Tampa getting that delay a game a penalty, moving mm-hmm. it back from the second two yard to seven yard line. It's almost I think the teams want to be back further because again the field is shorter. Especially if you don't have a run game. If you don't have a run game, which Tampa doesn't, like everyone's criticizing Tampa, like that's the reason they lost. They, they didn't lose the game because I think teams almost I think if that's the Bills, they'd rather the ball on the twenty yard line and say I'd rather try a two yard conversion on the twenty than like the two because it's harder the, the, the way they run their their plays um, and then that's when the Dolphins punted the ball it was you know the Bills then were, were in a good situation you know got the safety then they were able actually then 21-19 and then you're thinking with a minute a couple of minutes to go minute something to go Bills are going to drive down kick the field goal they're only down two and Dolphins defense comes up big and stops them and if you look at the stats of the game I mean 497 to 212 yards. That's crazy. That's almost three to two and a half to one. Turnovers, it was only one to nothing. And time of possession, the Bills had 40 minutes to the Dolphins 20, and the Dolphins still win the game. It was good coaching. They, they got things done correctly. They played great. You know, you look at Josh Allen's stat line, and it's still impressive. But look what he did in the first two games. This is a guy, if you're looking at it in a fantasy scope, he scores 40 points a week. And they held him to two touchdowns. You know, so that's... You gotta give credit to the Dolphins here. I, again, I'm shocked. I don't know if they're the best team in the AFC or anything like that, but this is a huge win over a division opponent. And again, I'm super happy for Dolphins fans and the Dolphins team. Let's go. You mentioned Tampa Bay, so let's talk about Green Bay and Tampa. This game was kind of sloppy, kind of ugly. We didn't really expect much from Tom Brady with basically his starting three receivers out. Green Bay did enough, but had a chance to lose the game at the end. And uh, you know, here, here we go with Aaron Aaron Rodgers kind of not looking great against the best teams. <laughs> well, I think it was just a weird game. Uh, the fact is, Brady, Green Bay had all their receivers out too. So everyone said there could be a big, watch the running games. Green Bay rushed for 30, 67 yards, and Tampa rushed for like 35 yards. I mean, it was <laughs> horrendous run. Nobody, it was really nothing. It was 14-3 in Green Bay, and uh, it seemed like, you know, then they fumbled the ball, then Tampa fumbled the ball. There was these turnovers. Um, Tampa was able to get, cut it to 14-6 and then score, make it, you know, score at the end of the game, and then try to go for the two-point conversion, not making it. I mean, people are all on Tampa's case. That, that they're not scoring the points. Their defense looks great, but they're not scoring. It's a bad loss for them. They probably should, you know, they got it, but they, they, had, they didn't have Evans. They didn't have Godwin. They didn't have Julio Jones. Their offensive line is still a mess, but it was just, uh, it was one of those things where Tampa, I, I think you are I think you were looking for Fournette to run better. They just can't get their running game going. If they could get that going, maybe they could score more. But look, Green Bay needed this win too. They're 2-1. and one. I mean, that's what's so exciting about this NFL this year. There's two 3-0 teams, Miami and Philly. There's an 0-3 team in the Raiders. The Texans are 2-1. Everyone else is either 1-2 or 2-1. You talk about parity. This is exactly, this is what baseball is not. You know, if you're the Chicago Bears right now, you're like, well, this happens, this happens. We're in the playoffs. Like every team in their mind, 
time thinks like the Raiders right now. I still think Raider fans think oh, we still can of win course, the Super yeah, Bowl. They do. So <laughs> the point is, it's like that is amazing. There's no other sport where you have 32 teams and like 30 of them after three games after a month of the season still think I can win the Super Bowl this year. Like these teams, there's no great team, but there's no bad team. Now that's a little. There's no really. There is no great team, and that makes it think that well anybody can win. Now of course I don't think the Steelers can, but who knows? There's some, a lot of my Steelers fans think they still oh put Kenny Pickett in. We'll go for a run. We'll win. So <laughs> so Ira, if the season ended today after three weeks, I think it's pretty safe to say Lamar Jackson's the MVP. Uh, he, He's on a, another, you know, he's like, like Aaron Judge. This is kind of like a prove it, I'm taking a chance on myself year. And he looks really good out of the it, game. I mean, Aaron Judge and Lamar Jackson, the comparison is unbelievable. The fact that both players could not come. They offered Judge uh, seven years, $240 million. He turned it down. He's gonna, it's going to be another $150 million. I mean, Cashman <laughs> should just quit it after that, not giving him that. It was absolutely ridiculous that they couldn't lock him up. And uh, now, same thing with Lamar Jackson. Now he's going to he's gonna have another MVP year. He is our near MVP. I mean, he only threw for 290 yards, but he had four touchdowns passing and another one rushing. He ran for 100 yards. It's crazy. He's the only quarterback who can do what he does, which is pass and run and just run this offense without, I don't care how many wide receivers. I have Mark Andrews, my tight end. I don't. It's just amazing what they do. And you're thinking, okay, New England, Belichick, he'll stop that. And he couldn't. I mean, I, Andrews, I mean, I'm playing against a guy who had Jackson and Andrews in the fantasy team. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to win. There's no way, Belichick. This is Belichick. I mean, he's not going to give this up. And he did. He let yeah, all the By the first half, you they do. Just, oh, God. They, it, was just, <laughs> it was just destroyed him. And Mac Jones had 300 yards. But he threw three interceptions and then got hurt. And New England just looks doesn't look good. But it was, it look, again, but the question with Lamar Jackson is he's so been so horrendous in the playoffs. He makes Aaron Rodgers look like Tom Brady in the playoffs. So the the question is what he's going to have for the playoffs. But Baltimore is back. Lamar Jackson is playing great after last year. So this is uh, the, the Baltimore looks like a team in the central. The big games between the Baltimore and Cincinnati are going to be great. So if Lamar Jackson wasn't around, I would say right now the MVP is Jalen Hurts. As bad as that hurts me to say, he's well, he's one B right now. And we both were blatantly wrong about Monday Night Football last week. We we thought that Philly was pretenders. They mop the floor with, with Minnesota. And then, obviously, the, we know that the commanders aren't great, but again, you're looking at this team like, you can't stop Jalen Hurts. This offense is a juggernaut right now. I played tennis in high school, and I remember I went, this kid went away for the summer, and I knew that he was just, he was good, nice, I could beat him. I was, whenever we played, it was like 6'6 six, six all the time. He was gone for three months. I don't know, he went to like visit his family in North Carolina. When he came back, he beat me 6-0, I swear, I think that's Jalen Hurts. <laughs> this is not the Jalen Hurts that left for the summer vacation. What? First of all, we were totally wrong last week. Destroys Minnesota. I have no idea what happens. He does not, it's not the team that lost to Tampa last year in the playoffs. And Jalen Hurts looks fantastic. I do think, I think this is the coolest thing, that there's two teams. Philadelphia and Miami. Could there have two different cities in the world? No. Philadelphia and Miami are polar opposite of each other. Yeah. They both have quarterbacks from Alabama that play, Tua and Jalen Hurts. They both have star-wide receivers, Waddle and Devontae Smith, who played on the same team at Alabama. Alabama. With, with Alabama. And they both, going into the year, added a big-name wide receiver, Tyreek Hill and A.J. Brown for, for Philadelphia. And it's worked out for both, and they're both 3-0. So pretty amazing, and, and yeah, and their offenses just look unstoppable. <laughs> not not the I mean uh, not the Dolphins necessarily, but the uh, Ravens and the uh, Eagles. So again, like trying to pick these games is really difficult. And I I know that Justin Herbert's hurt, but did anybody, if you were in a pick and pool, think that Jacksonville was going to come in and roll the the Los Angeles Chargers? I know I didn't. No, well, I think well Trevor Lawrence now looks like Trevor. He's playing like Trevor Lawrence while he was the number one pick in the draft, and uh, he has twenty eight for thirty nine, two hundred sixty yards, three touchdowns. Doug Peterson, the coach. 
the, the days of Marvin Meyer have yeah. just <laughs> changed around. And uh, this is the largest road win uh, that Jacksonville has had since 2001 when Trevor Lawrence was two years old. And they lost their first nine road games in Trevor Lawrence's first games, and then they won on the road. Peyton Manning did the same thing when he was there. He lost his first nine road games, and then he won. Maybe last year, people said, well, last year was so hard on Trevor. It's going to, maybe it did tough on him. I mean, maybe it was good for him because these other quarterbacks, Troy Aikman, Peyton Manning, John Elway, not all these quarterbacks came in and were their first year, were won 16 games in a row. Like this, this, this is pretty impressive. And he looks great. And the Chargers, question marks, Brendan Staley, uh, there was questions about his play calling. Now it's a question, can he get his team ready to play in these games? So uh, that was a, it's a bad loss for the Chargers at home. So, <clears throat> If, if you know if you are one of these fantasy guys, a lot of these top quarterbacks so far just haven't panned out. And Russell Wilson might be the most disappointing of all of them. He, he, I know it's a new team, new coach, new system, all that, but Russ just doesn't look the same. And there was points in that game where he showed flashes of what he could do, but this was an ugly game. A win's a win, but still, you you can't be really confident if you're a Denver Broncos fan right now. I mean, was like the weather horrendous? Was it like snowy? Was it nothing? The weather was perfect. 11-10 Denver over San Francisco. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo was, stepped out of bounds on a safety in the back of the end zone. Like this, besides like Dan Orlowski, Orlowski yeah. like the first time it was ever happened. They both had four sacks. There was 27 combined first downs in the entire game. Some teams that we're talking about had 27 by themselves. 500 total yards. San Francisco was one for 10 on third down and Denver was six for 19. Like it, it couldn't get any worse. I mean, Denver went up 11-10 and San Francisco's last two drives was interception and then Jimmy G of course fumbled the ball left. The only weird thing is that Jimmy G didn't get hurt. This was a <laughs> terrible, this was a, the score was crazy. Only two other games, one other game in the NFL history went 11-10 Steelers Chargers uh, many years ago. But this was a crazy, like with the safeties and the bad play, uh, two teams that some people predicted in the Super Bowl. I mean, I look at some of this, I mean, people, some people predicted Denver and Super Bowl is going to be in the Super Bowl. That was, did not, if that was the Super Bowl, the NFL is going to be embarrassed for that game. <laughs> It's 731 Ira on Sports. I'm Mike Balsamo. This is True Oldies. Time to bring in our guest. He is Shamit Jenner from Finsider. Uh, Shamit, thank you so much for joining us. This is Mike. I've got Ira here as well, and I'll turn you over in a second. But, you know, obviously you're a big Dolphins fan. You follow them. You you write about them. Did you think that this team could really be 3-0 and right now? Because I don't think many people across the country did. To be honest, uh, no. <laughs> um, I, I thought going into the season that if we could get out of the first three games at two and one, um, we'd be in good shape for the season. And then if from four games, if we came out two and two, then I think, you know, we, that would have been a good start considering we've played, you know, Bill Belichick, John Harbaugh on the Ravens, and then probably the best team in the NFL in Buffalo. Um, I just think that something has clicked this season with the Dolphins and, you know, expectations, you know, in Miami were that we're going to be a playoff team, but I didn't think, I don't think anybody thought, you know, we'd be 3-0 and at this point and the number one seed in the AFC. Love the honesty. Ira? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I guess the question, I mean, it seems like they've been trying. The funny thing I said about Tua was that everybody was trying to trade Deshaun Watson for Tua. Like, I was Houston. I would have made that trade. I mean, they could have got a ton of draft picks and you would have got two of your quarterback and you could have then built around it. They didn't want to make that trade, but but it seems like nobody wanted two and nobody believed in Tua, um, except who do you think believes? I mean, is it, where is, but it seems like the players believed in him to some extent. Tyreek Hill certainly believed him <laughs> in him. So where is this belief from yeah. Tua coming from? I think it uh, now it's from the coach. I think Brian Flores probably never wanted Tua, and I think Tua felt that. Um, you could see his demeanor 
during practices and games. It just it just wasn't the same Tua we saw at Alabama. Whereas now with McDaniel, you have somebody that's all in on Tua, and it's somebody that every game is you know convincing Tua, hey, you're my guy, you're my guy. I don't care if you make a mistake, I'll put you back out there. You know, Flores had a habit of yanking Tua from games, and I don't know what that does to a young quarterback's confidence. Whereas McDaniel, you know, in the Ravens game, we were down 21, and McDaniel's like, no, I'm going to keep Tua in. I'm going to take some shots down the field. I trust my guy. I trust my players. And I think that's rubbing off on Tua, and I think that's rubbing off on the rest of the team as well. Um, Robert Hunt said recently that Tua's been our guy since day one. And, you know, with all the stuff Tyreek has said, and um, it just seems the rest of the team is rallying around him in a way we haven't seen before. And I think that's a credit to the new coach, Mike McDaniel. You know, some of the times these assistant coaches leave other teams and they're like, well, maybe they weren't that smart. It seems like when you saw San Francisco last night, we're just talking about the Denver game. I mean, their offense is pathetic. Their team looks horrendous. And you're wondering, well, you know, maybe the genius behind the San Francisco offense might have been Mike McDaniel. Maybe so. I mean, because you look at how innovative the Dolphin offense is. And you mentioned about Tua being very cerebral. McDaniels, of course, is very, Mike McDaniels, very cerebral. I think that it seems like they're a perfect match in terms of uh, two as a young quarterback, that, but playing at like w- like looking at our defenses like Brady and Rodgers and those with uh, quarterbacks with much more experience. Yeah, Tua has always been more of a death by a thousand cuts type of quarterback. Um, more like a Breeze, less like a Patrick Mahomes. Um, and I think McDaniel, you know, is the type of coach that can get the best out of him. I will say that when we hired McDaniel, I was a little wary just because I, I'm not a big fan of hiring offensive coordinators from teams where the coach is already an offensive coach right. because they're not calling plays during games, right? Like you see with Nathaniel Hackett, he was the OC, but Matt LaFleur was calling plays and Aaron Rodgers is your quarterback. So what is Hackett doing on game day? I think people are still questioning I, what Hackett is doing on game day. It seems like <laughs> the Denver, Denver fans are asking that same question right now. I, that's the concern I had with McDaniel. And I think, you know, all those concerns have been alleviated. You know, he's not that he's shown at least over three games that, you know, he can hold his own and, and, and more so um, what he's done to the Dolphins offense over um, just three games has been, you know, nothing sort of remarkable considering how, you know, flat this offense looked last year. You know, Tyreek Hill, when he would play for Kansas City and have an average game, like a three, I think he had three catches, 33 yards yesterday, uh, it seemed like he wasn't even happy. I mean, he seemed like one of those wide receivers that looked at stats. He looked ecstatic. I mean, I saw every interview he had. He was like, I don't care. We won. This is great. I'm so happy. I mean, this is clearly he has bought into this, whatever they're selling in terms of Tua and, and Waddle. And, and, and I think that's great when you have a star like Hill that goes has three for 33 and it's not saying, oh, I should get more patches. I should, he was as, he was as happy as if he had 20 catches for 500 yards. And I, I really think that's because of the coach. Because you won't find anyone who's worked under Mike McDaniel who has a bad word to say about him. Everyone that speaks about him speaks about him in you know glowing fashion. Like it's insane that you know, like you said, our star receiver had a bad game, and he's coming out after the game saying, you know, we're that team. Onto Cincinnati, we're going to be four and We're the best team. Like. That's not something we've ever seen in Miami. Like we've had, you know, number one receivers in Mike Wallace and and Brandon Marshall, but both of those guys had huge attitude problems in, in Miami. And Tyreek Hill has looked like, you know, he just flipped the switch completely. 
Yeah, um, oh, yeah, no question. Um, I guess the other question was on defense. The, the Dolphin defense looked bad against Baltimore, but when they needed to play better, they stepped up. And against the Bills, sort of definitely a bend versus break defense. And we've just been talking about how, boy, in those, it just seemed like the Buffalo was right when they had a chance to score. They were able to stop them and not and not to score at all. So I, I, you got to, you know, whatever McDaniel's doing on defense in terms of, I think that it's working too because they're, they're at least keeping it in the game. Yeah, so recently, I think it's come out that Josh Boyer, the current defensive coordinator, was actually calling plays last season, even when Flores was here. Um, and we saw the same, you know, similar bend, don't break defense. Like, I think on Sunday, the Ravens, or sorry, the Bills ran like 90 plays, but they only had 17 points on offense. Um, and we had like multiple, you know, goal line stands. Um, that is, that was a concern for Dolphins fans, you know, with Flores leaving, how much of the defense drop off. And we've given up a lot of yards, but the points, you know, say for the, the Ravens game have been relatively low. We kept the Bills to 17 points, which is the lowest they've had since like December of last year. So I don't know what if McDaniel has any input or if it's just Josh Boyer, but whatever they're doing seems to be working. So, I mean, hopefully it continues for the rest of the season. And what about the running game? I mean, it seems like, you know, I think when McDaniel came over, people were like, oh, San Francisco, they just run the ball. There they have five different running backs. So the running game hasn't come in, but they've actually scored in the goal line. You know, the, the running backs are Edmund, who knows fantasy, knows Edmund's been scoring some touchdowns. Mostart, Mostart has got some touchdowns too. So it seems like he's he's putting that in a little bit, but it's just the use of everything from Jasicki to Waddle to Hill to the running back. It's, it's like you're getting attacked on all sides with their offensive scheme. Yeah. I think we've not seen the best of the running game yet. Um, I think McDaniel's plan long-term is to get the running game going in order to open up the play action. Um, we've seen a little bit of that so far this season. But I don't think there's been enough, like, it's, it's not the right game situation to run the ball. Like, we've been down, you know, big in the Ravens game, and then we were trailing the whole game versus Buffalo. So we haven't really seen, you know, the running game that we expected with McDaniel coming from San Fran. But like you said, it doesn't matter for us so far. Like McDaniel has shown that he can win in a number of different ways. And that's a sign of a really good team that yes, we can beat you on the ground. We can beat you in the air. We can beat you, you know, with our defense and you know, the running game, I think will get better because Mostert is, you know, one of the league's fastest running backs. Chase Edmonds is really shifty, good in the, in the, in the pass catching game. Um, so I think we'll see the running game improve. And then when the running game improves in turn, I think the passing game will just get even better. So Thursday night is really shaping up. I mean, these Thursday night games, you, if you're a Dolphin fan, get your Amazon. I guess you watch it over the air if you're in Miami. But um, it, what a great game in terms of Cincinnati. You almost have the LSU Burrow Chase connection against Tua and Waddle when they faced in the 2019 game at Alabama and LSU. But is Miami going to fly up there early because of the hurricane? And what and do you think it's going to be hard for them after this humongous win, this great win over Buffalo, to be able to turn around and play on a Thursday night game, which is hard for seems for a lot of teams? I think it's going to be tough. I mean, Thursday night football already, you're on a short week. Um, I think the home team wins, like, I want to say 60% of Thursday night football games. Don't quote me on that, but it's somewhere around that number. Um, I, I think it'll be a tough game just because, I mean, I don't know if they're flying up early. I know the Buccaneers are using the Dolphins facility already um, because the hurricane is going to hit Tampa. Um, it, it'll, it'll be an interesting game because on paper, the Bengals are probably the weakest coach and opponent we've played so far, but it's also on the road. They're coming off a decent win of the Jets. And, you know, we've had two really emotional victories in a row. So I wouldn't be surprised to see, like, 
you know, the the wheels come off the uh, the train a little bit. Um, I think we match up well against Cincinnati. It'll be interesting to see, you know, if we can hold a lead instead of always chasing the game and if that affects how McDaniel calls plays. Um, it should be a really good game. Uh, I think the Bengals are favored right now, um, opening odds-wise. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I just think um, with this new offense, the Dolphins always have a chance, which is not something I've ever said in my <laughs> lifetime as a Dolphins fan, yes. that we have a chance in every game we play. I feel like... Devontae Parker did not give you a lot of hope as a wide receiver. <laughs> Even though it was funny, on the day that the Dolphins won, Devontae Parker, I think, had his best game. And like, as someone who had Devontae in his fantasy for like three years in a row for some reason, he had his best day yesterday for the New England Patriots. But uh... Yeah, that's, that was funny, yeah. So, well, anyway, it was awesome talking to you. Thank you for this insight on terms of the Miami Dolphins. I know I was at a sports bar on Sunday, and it went crazy. And it's fun when you're in South Florida. We had uh, Marshall John Fisher, who wrote a book on called 72 and O, uh, 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 17 and O about the 72 Dolphins. And to think that, wouldn't it be funny if the Dolphins went undefeated? Like, the Dolphins' <laughs> record of going undefeated 50 oh, years 50 later. Years, yeah. <laughs> Don't tempt me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. He is uh, Shumit Jenner from Finsider. Thank you so much for popping by Ira on Sports. That's what you're listening to. This is True Oldies. It's 7.43. Aaron Judge due up first in the next inning. It's the bottom of the second now. 2 nothing. Yankees on top of the Blue Jays. Any other games we want to touch on here real quick? Kansas City losing to a team that the week prior got shut out 24 to nothing. How do you possibly pick games like this, Ira? And I, this is what I, why, what I said earlier. I have no idea who's going to win week to week anywhere. I mean, in the end of the game, I was I was throwing bouquets on Kansas City saying they're playing so smart and playing great. And then they have another bad inning. They're 17-13. They miss a 34-yard field goal to go up 20-13. And then Matt Dry Ryan has a drive to score, which is surprising in itself to make it 2017. But Mahone still had the ball with 30 seconds to go just with needing a field goal. That's easy. And they don't get it. He throws an interception. So that was weird. I mean, it's a weird game there. I'm telling you, jumping back to Thursday night's game, look, I've been wrong. I was wrong on the Eagles. I was wrong sort of on the Vikings, even though they won, but I'm not happy with how the Vikings, but I was totally right on the Steelers. I told everybody, I've been telling everyone, they're bad. Their offensive line is a disaster. Yeah. They cannot do anything. I rewatched the game. Um, it is, it is, it is, it, I don't care if they had Pickett in there. I don't care if they had Bradshaw, Ben, doesn't matter. This team is a mess, and defensively, they are lucky. I mean, they, and they, they think who they play next. They play the Jets, but then they're at Buffalo, at Philadelphia and at Miami. I mean, that's, they play Tampa Bay at home, at Buffalo, at Miami and Philadelphia in a row. I mean, this team is looking, if they don't beat the Jets, they're looking at like a 1-6, and 1-7 start. And, you know, it's interesting, you brought up Tyreek Hill being that model teammate, whereas there's like dissension already in Pittsburgh. Was it um, George Pickens came and said, I'm open on every play. Like that's you're, not, you're, you're a rookie wide receiver. You're you're a rookie. <laughs> I'm open on every play. Mike Tomlin, that's not normal for a Mike Tomlin coach team. Um, you want to just fly through the rest of these here quick? Yeah, just a couple points. Uh, Tennessee had a big win over Las, over Las Vegas Raiders. Again, Tennessee seemed to be struggling the first two games of the year. Vegas being 0-3, it's like, wow. And Devontae Adams, like this is the one pairing that's not working out between Carr and Adams. Um, surprised by that and Vegas needs to recover from that. Um, the Rams win 20 to 12, but their offense, talk about, look, I'm giving you scores 20 to 12, 27, 12. Teams are not scoring a lot of points. It's really the defense. It's how you're able to, it, it, the games aren't, aren't, aren't going crazy. Um, I guess the Minnesota Detroit, 
Boy, Detroit had that game won. They seem to have it, and Minnesota came, played poorly. Jefferson had a bad game, but boy, to come back and win that game over Detroit is an exciting game in that respect. And as Shamit just said, Cincinnati beating the Jets, I think this is going to be a great Thursday night game. I really do. But I think Burrow, I think Cincinnati's getting their act together with Miami. This is a good test for both teams. Um, Cincinnati gets really windy. I was there twice. The last two times I went there, it seems like it's been super windy. I think it helps Tua because he doesn't have to rely on the deep all the time, but uh, can't wait for that game Thursday night and then we can talk about the uh, Giants Cowboys tonight yeah Giants and Cowboys tonight in about uh, ooh, 30 minutes or so and the Giants Ira could also be 3-0 and and they might be the softest 3-0 team of all time but going against Cooper Rush as opposed to the Dak Prescott I think the Giants have a real shot tonight well they're favored by one I, I, I they beat the Titans 21 to 20 the Panthers 1916 <laughs> the Cowboys have lost to the Bucks 19-3 and they beat the Bengals but I, I just have a feeling at home Giants Stadium the fans are going to be really into this I'm sorry to sense you have been I was in New York for a little bit they're, they love this team this is this the, the Giants fans the, is a sleeping giant of the fan base they're energized. They're ready to go. I'm going to say Giants are going to win. Did you see Brian Dable sent an email to the season ticket holders asking them to wear white and do a whiteout? <laughs> when does a coach send an email like that? I like that, though. And I think, you know, you could talk about the Dolphins probably got the higher right. It looks like the Giants did, too. And I'll, I'll take them to win tonight. Let, you know, lay the point. Let's let's try to do this. <clears throat> Speaking of me not knowing anything about football, I was really confident this year in both the University of Miami and the University of Florida. And I seem to have whiffed on both of those. Middle Tennessee State. I happen to go to college there. <laughs> I, did, I forgot that you went there. I'm texting I'm you. Are you watching baby. this game? I go, do you know Middle Tennessee? I forgot you went there. Like, you don't talk about Middle Tennessee State. It's not one well, of our they topics. They don't talked about ever. <laughs> They're great at women's basketball. And that's, a, that's about the extent of it. Kelly Holcomb, greatest athlete ever to come out of uh, MTSU football, comes to Miami. And Ira, you were pointing out earlier, it's, they didn't just win. They destroyed them. It, when you see 24 to 3 on the score and you see that like I trust that ESPN doesn't get their act together like there's always mistakes in there you see mistakes all the time but when it says 24 3 it's one of the, when you see a score like that you're like there's a mistake there's no way that it's 24 3 like it has to be an error how is Miami losing they're, first of all they're 25 point favorites which I thought was even you know I'm like they should probably be like 30 35 yeah. point favorites they're down 24 3 Miami's first three tur- per- turnovers in their first three possessions they cut it to 31 17 <laughs> and this is the response is the 98 yard pass from Middle Tennessee State they also had pass plays I'm like I'm talking about high school football this is when like the team is much better like a quad A playing whatever they had pass plays of 69 70 89 and 98 against the Miami defense. Like, so forget about the, the Tyler Van Dyke, who everyone was saying is Heisman Trophy winner, was pulled in the game against Middle Tennessee <laughs> State, not because they were leading by so many points, because they were losing. Like, it is scary. I mean, Chase Cunningham for Middle Tennessee State, 408 yard pass yards. Um, you know, they they had they got 500 yards on the Miami Hurricanes. I, what more do you need to say? It's a disaster. It is, and then they showed the stands at the end of the game when it started to rain a little bit. I mean, there wasn't a person in the stands. Like, zero people were in the stands at the end of that game. Uh, Georgia, not their best uh, outing versus Kent State, but I do believe they're holding on to the number one uh, rating in front of Alabama. Anyway. It was weird. Georgia seemed to have, besides the game they lost, that even that was a tough game when they lost the ACC championship game, it seemed like this is the first bad Georgia game that they played in a year. Like, yeah, I don't forever. remember. They they, they want, beat Kent State 39-22. They're 45-point favorites. Um, but, you know, maybe it's, uh, I don't know. It, let's see. It just Maybe Kent State just played tough, but that was a weird game. They they really haven't played a bad They blew everybody out there uh, they're outperforming the spread constantly so we'll see what happens if it means they held on the number one spot but uh it was not a good win for them 
Alabama got to play the uh, SEC bye week in Vanderbilt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think one interesting thing is that Bryce Young had 400 yards, four touchdowns. They outyarded them 628 to 129. Uh, Jace McQuellen has become sort of the running back. They put Jameer Gibbs. They could their their wide receivers can't catch the ball, so they took their best running back and made him a wide receiver. So you can see they have so many talented players. But uh, it was it was it was. I watched the whole game because I love watching Alabama play. But it was one of those things where like boy, their offense if they get going, uh, they're going to be dangerous. Uh, Ohio State faced off against Wisconsin. These games do get close sometimes. This one was not the case. Ohio State looks phenomenal. I mean, they, they every they, the first they had ten possessions in the game, seven touchdowns, one field goal, and two punts. Uh, they played without Smith and Jenga, their star wide receiver, and both of their corners, and they still totally destroyed Wisconsin. I mean, the score was 52-21, and the game was a total un- blowout. And this is a team that Wisconsin was fa- is favored to win the Ohio the, the uh, Big Ten West. Um, just C.J. Stroud. 300 yards passing, five touchdowns. I mean, he's the number one pick of the NFL draft next year, and he's going to be starting in NFL. He'll be like Trevor Lawrence. He's unbelievable. Looks tremendous. Um, I it looks this Ohio State team with the defense they have, it looks like they could play with Georgia Alabama. So I'm I don't know who the fourth team will be, but this Ohio State team is much much improved from last year, and they also don't seem to be a team that's going to lose a crazy game to Michigan State. Like it seems like every year Ohio State has these crazy like last year they lost to Oregon. Yeah. Like I don't think they're going to have that loss. They I think they're taking these games seriously and they want to blow the teams out. Uh, Judge just walked three two count. Um, Gosman couldn't keep one in the zone, and he's heading over to first. Nobody out two nothing. Uh, Yankees on top of the Blue Jays still. Michigan and Maryland, and this is one, Michigan's got hopes. I mean, this is a team that, that anticipates or wants to be in the playoff, and games like this don't really make you look like that. Well, Blake Corum rushed for 30 carries, 243 yards, and two touchdowns. A great running game for Michigan. Maryland, though, is tough. They were undefeated going to the game. To his brother, Talia, plays for them. He, um, he had 200 yards but uh, passing and a touchdown. But it, look, Michigan is, uh, it was a win. It, Mar- I thought, I, I wasn't surprised by the score because I think Maryland has really, it just keep improving under Lockley. He was a former Alabama assistant and I saw them play a couple years ago and they just seem to get better and better and better so uh, I think it was a good win for Michigan 751 Ira on sports true oldies channel I'm Mike Balsamo Clemson and Wake Forest and this one came down to the wire what a game I mean Sam Hartman and DJ Ogabe I mean DJ has been had some trouble and people are like you know bench him switch him up but that was a big win over Wake 51-45 two overtimes uh, he threw five touchdowns Hartman threw six touchdowns uh, Clemson wants to be that fourth and again we're talking who's going to be you know if Ohio State's in there and Georgia and Alabama Clemson that was a big statement game over Wake to win that game and to be that fourth team there was a lot of people saying Ira that Oklahoma should have been the number three team in the country behind Alabama and Georgia, and that's definitely not the case now. Boy, it was so funny. Dylan Gabriel, who was the quarterback of Central Florida, is the quarterback of Oklahoma, and Adrian Martinez, the quarterback of Nebraska, is the quarterback of Kansas State. If you watch these games and you see these names, you're like, is that their brother? No, it's them. The transfer portal of these mm. teams going around. Big win for Kansas State. Kansas State seems to have Oklahoma's number. They beat them in 2012, 14, 19, and 20. So they seem to know how to beat Oklahoma. But uh, bad loss for Oklahoma and Brent Venables, a team that uh, they were 13 point favorites uh, and were, you know, one of the probably were the favorite to win the Big 12, but uh, Kansas State now puts themselves in the driving position. So USC is like on a turnaround warpath with Lincoln Riley in town now, but let Oregon State really hang around in this one. Well, not a hang around. I watched the whole game. I, I'm intrigued by this. And Oregon State's fans were great. I mean, they were undefeated going to the game. I love watching these games. And it was I was it was one of those late night games. And US, it was 7-3 most of the game. Oregon State, USC took the lead 10-7. Uh, then the bad punt from the end zone and Oregon State went up 14-10. And USC was driving. And on fourth down, they got stopped. And it was like out of the Texas-USC game. And they went and they literally 
pushed, when they pushed Vince Young, they literally pushed Caleb Williams over the, it was like on the 50-yard line. They pushed him three yards, and it's legal now to push somebody. And they were able to get the first down, and then he threw a touchdown pass, amazing touchdown pass to Jordan Addison with a minute to go to win the game. But boy, I thought that game was over. I thought Oregon State was going to celebrate. The fans were going to rush the field. So huge uh, save by USC to win that game, to keep their hopes alive to be that fourth team in the playoff. And Texas A&M, this was a team that, you know, everyone thought was uh, maybe one of the top teams in the country and hasn't been that way either. It hasn't been that, but it was, they, they definitely had, they had a win over Arkansas. They barely, Arkansas was up 14-0. They're ready to go up 21-7. KJ Jefferson, it's what you all see all the time. They go right to the goal line, put the ball across, just reach it across, gets knocked out. Then a defense gets the ball, going to be tackled, but then he laterals and the guy runs like 100 yards for a touchdown. Then that made it, instead of 20, you know, that instead of going, that made it tied it up 14, was 13 really. But uh, it was one of those things where Texas a was able, bad loss for Arkansas. I thought they had the game totally under control and to lose that is a tough one for them but Sam Pittman's doing a great job with that team and uh, they play Alabama this week so we'll see what happens there so this is the best Tennessee team since they won the championship with with T Martin when that was uh you know 25 years ago so Tennessee's no not a joke this year but we've just you know I think between me and you we really like Florida we really like Tony Richardson and we just haven't been getting that on the field you got a big game from Anthony Richardson, 453 yards passing, 62 rushing. But Hendon Hooker for Tennessee, like Tennessee is good. Josh Heupel's their coach. They finally, have you gone through, it seems like, what, 30 coaches? They, they Remember, this is a team. Tennessee has this great pride. They play at a 100,000-seat stadium. Their fans are diehard fans. They don't win. I mean, they're just unbelievable. They have lost 16 out of 18 games against Florida. So your rival, you can't even beat your rival. Finally, Tennessee has it, and their fans are raising it. Did you watch that game day? They were there. They're excited. Hendon Hooker looks amazing and a big win for Tennessee. And let's see if Tennessee, I mean, this Tennessee-Georgia game is going to be huge. Um, and, uh, and so it's just big. This could be it for this. Finally, Tennessee's back. When I was young, you know, that's Peyton Manning. People forget, Peyton Manning played at Tennessee. Yeah. So when I was at two games at Tennessee, their fans are amazing. The stadium's right on the water. It's exciting to be there. Um, but that was, uh, you're gonna, I'm gonna, you know, Tennessee's in the top 10 now. That moved him up to the top 10, but we'll see what happens. Texas Tech versus Texas. This one was a good one. It was a great game. Texas led 31-7. Texas Tech kicked a field goal with 21 seconds to go up 34-31. And then they let Texas come down and score. And I'm like, oh. Then they go to overtime. Texas fumbles and Texas Tech kicks it. But, um, boy, you know, every time you think Texas is back, like they're so close. And then they lose this type of game. Very crazy that they lost their 2-2. Two and two. Um, Just a bad, bad loss for Texas. Big win for Texas Tech. About five minutes here to go. Are you want to talk to us about some of these other games? Florida State, 4-0, under the radar. Mike Norvell beating uh, Boston. Boston College, uh, that was a 40 to, it was 40 to, uh, 14. Uh, Jordan Travis threw in 21 yards. So the 4-0 first time since 2015. A team that no one is talking about, Minnesota in the Big Ten, they killed Michigan State 34-7. Tanner Morgan's their quarterback. It seems like Ibrahim's a running back. They are they're back. They're going to be very, very good this year. Uh, FAU from right down in Boca Raton, they only lost to Purdue by two points, 28-26. Miami, Ohio upset Northwestern. Notre Dame had a, a win over North Carolina. I don't know what you want to call it. It's 45-32. North Carolina looked terrible in that game. And UCF beat Georgia Tech. Tech, uh, 27-10, and, and then you lose to UCF and you get fired. Their coach got fired, and their <laughs> athlete, they not only fired their coach, they fired their coach and their athletic director. Next week, I'm looking at the Bama-Arkansas game. I know Bama's favored by 17, but at Arkansas, that should be a big test for Bama. Kentucky is number seven in the country. Crazy to think Kentucky in football. Number seven in the country at Mississippi is 14, and Mississippi's favored by six and a half. That should be good. And NC State, number 10 in the country at number five, Clemson. Clemson's favored by seven. So it's going to be fun to see some of these teams like Kentucky and Mississippi and uh, 
the NC State teams you don't really see in the top 10 play big, meaningful games next week. Getting to a little tennis, Ira, one of the all-time greats is going to hang it up. Uh, Roger Federer announced his retirement, and he announced that this was going to be his final match at the Labor Cup. He played with Nadal. They played against TFO in soccer. It's an exhibition. It's like European versus the world. The rules are so crazy, but it was great to see Nadal and Federer on the court together. And then it was fun to see the final match was TFO play Titsipas for the championship. Who was going to win? And TFO for the they call it the world versus Europe, whatever. But it, it, TFO beat Titsipas, and it was uh, a big win for TFO. He, I'm telling you, and he loved it because this is like the the team is allowed to be on the court. So you see Federer coaching Titsipas, and you see all the Americans, and TFO loved it, and the fans are screaming, and you have all the McEnroe brothers, you know, John McEnroe, and it, it, I think TFO loves that whole team concept. Talking golf, Ira, I don't know if there's been less hype around a President's Cup that I can remember. And this one, the field was a little bit muddied. Everyone thought that Team USA was just going to absolutely steamroll them. The score was still lopsided, but it got a little exciting there at the end. 17 and a half to 12 and a half. Uh, that's where, the, where America plays like the rest of the world, but not Europe. So there's another type of weird things, but you had lost all those rest of the world and not Europe was the Cam Smiths and the Leash. All their players defected to live, so they lost almost their team. So America lost Dustin Johnson a lot of their team too, but Spieth and Thomas were 4-0 together as a, as a team and uh, when they were playing, and then they and then in the singles, they, they were 3-1 and one with uh, Cantley and Shaw. So the two teams that they had was uh, Cantlay and Shoffley and Spieth and Thomas together were I think seven and were uh, six and one so they sort of were dominating with that but uh, there was no Leishman no answer no Uzhaus and Neiman America won this uh, they've won 12 out of four they've won nine straight victories they played every two years and they've won 12 out of 14 so they usually dominate this anyway so but it was, uh, it was sort of exciting I mean Tom Kim uh, is a is a is a your world player who actually you know a lot of enthusiasm a lot of excitement young player so we'll see what happens he, everybody was a big fan favorite. At the, they played at Quell Hollow in Charlotte. Uh, what about uh, NBA? We had some disappointing news. I, it's kind of still a muddied field. I don't think anybody actually knows what happened here with the uh, Celtics head coach. Um, I thought it was, you know, I brought this up to talk about real fast, was Emi Oduko was the coach last year. At the beginning of the year, they were 500 not playing well. He replaced Brad Stevens, who had been the coach, you know, for a number of years and went to become the general manager. And then he turned it on there. It had that great run, and they made it to the finals. And everyone loved him in Boston, but it looks like he's now, he's not looking, he's being suspended for a year for having a relationship consensual with a staff member uh, at the Celtics, and they violated rules, and there seems to be, some people tried to defend what happens, like, can you suspend him for a year? And then, like, Matt Barnes came out and said there's a lot more that we haven't seen so don't want to really talk so much because we don't really have all the information but it is I can't remember a time when a coach has been fired for something like this in terms of and he's also he was engaged in the along who was uh, I'm a big Fresh Prince of Bel-Air fan and that was <laughs> Will Smith's girlfriend on Fresh Prince and so you have all these episodes with Nia like talking about getting cheated on by Will so people play that because <laughs> she's now in this but um, it was I think it's going to as a team look the Celtics were the favorite to win this this is a big story because I'm like he's the coach of Oakland City. The Celtics were the favorite to win the NBA Finals this year. So for the coach to be taken out, um, that's uh, and, the, and bringing the assistant on. That and they lost their other top assistant to Utah. So this will be there's a lot there's a th- in the preseason starting right now. So it, it is pretty a crazy situation. You want to wrap it up with some uh, racing? Well, Tyler Reddick won the NASCAR race, and when I was in Atlanta for the Auburn game, they had signs of it for Talladega. Talladega in terms of uh, boy, uh, Days of Thunder, uh, ta- uh, all those Talladega nights. Tell- Talladega Nights with Will Ferrell. Um, so I wish someday, I've, I've never been to that track. I'd like to go there because I saw all the big signs. So that's going to be next week for NASCAR. And then uh, what's your plans for this week? 
I don't know. I think the hurricane, I think I was planning to go to see Northwestern Penn State on Saturday and the Steelers Jets on Sunday. But if I can't leave because of the hurricane, then maybe go to see Tampa plays Kansas City on Sunday night. Maybe just drive to that. So I think I think a lot depends on if you can. Because you know with these hurricanes, you can't get a plane because they just stop all the planes. You can't fly up. Well, we are out of time. Thank you so much to Shamit Jenna. Joined us from the Finsider. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.